More and more badass women are joining the ranks as highly skilled construction professionals. Construction and renovation projects wouldn't happen without the skills of the various crews involved. As we all know, the skilled trades have been male-dominated for like forever. In this season, I'm highlighting the amazing women doing their thing in the construction sector. Every journey and every story is different, but they are all inspiring. Have a listen as I learn about their stories. Hello, and welcome once again to the All Things Renovation Women in Trades series podcast, where I'm using this platform to talk about amazing women who are doing their thing in the trade sector in hopes that A, people are listening, obviously, and B, that by shining a light on their stories, others will feel comfortable considering a career in the trades as, you know, if you can see it, you can believe it, and then you think that you might be able to do it. So today I have Lee Peters on the show, and she is currently a superintendent for Boxstall and um, construction and has been working in the commercial construction realm for over six years, um, started as an apprentice, worked her way up, and before that she worked for about six years in residential renovation and restoration for a company called Dahl Construction and was mentored by master carpenter Brian Dahl. She showed an interest at a young age in building and grew up completing renovation projects with her handyman father. And from a young age, she was taught the importance of doing things right and quickly and developed a love for building. She bought her first house at 16, really 16, wow, and continued to use her skills uh, that her father taught her to renovate. Her parents decided to move to Africa and build their own dream with Dashir Lodge and Safaris and um, their nonprofit organization, Dashir Cares. And Lee was determined to keep learning and set out to find a new mentor. And while it was a struggle to find a job with no professional experience, she eventually was taken on by Brian Dahl and was able to continue to learn how to build. She has grained gained a great deal of experience and expertise along the way and hopes to help educate and mentor the next generation of women considering a career in construction. And she wants to help break down the barriers barriers that many of us face on our, our journeys as a woman or someone who's identifying as a woman in this sector. So Lee, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. So you know, in your bio, we, I read off a little bit of your path into the trades. So how did you get from like, hey, I like kind of playing with the tools with your dad to really deciding that you wanted to do this as a career and then, and why carpentry? Well, I think the biggest thing is to be honest, I never decided to do it as a career. Um, my, I was just looking for something to do and I was serving and kind of kept serving jobs, office jobs, and knew that wasn't kind of taking me everywhere. And oh, maybe I should go back to school. And in the meantime, I should do something that's going to further myself. So I decided, oh, my dad's gone. I'm going to keep doing construction. I can keep renovating my house. So it was kind of a backup plan and just kind of keep me going until I figured out what I wanted to do. And, and you never found anything else that you wanted to do, clearly. <laughs> Not at this point yet. No, I've uh, been in it for a long time. Most other jobs I would last about a year or two, maybe add and get bored, find something else. So it's been a while now and I still love it every day. Yeah. So tell me a little bit more about buying a house at 16. I mean, that's truly remarkable. I mean, I bought my first house at 23 and I thought that was like, wow, that's really young, but 16, that's like, wow. I was a pretty strong headed child and strong willed. And 
I decided that, well, I couldn't keep my animals. My parents were saying, you know, this is not working out. I said, I'll just get my own house and keep them. So I decided to move out and houses back then were a little cheaper, but I was working three jobs in high school and my parents let me use their name to sign a house and get a house. And they told me years later, they figured it was going to crash and burn after about a year and I'd move back in. But I continued to renovate that house and had it for about five years and ended up actually tripling the value of it by the end of it. Wow, that's amazing. So did, I mean, were they supportive of you during that time period? Or was it kind of like, hey, we're sort of separate people for now and you do you and then you'll come back when you need us? Or like, was it was it amicable? Like, was it, were, were they supportive of this thing? For oh, you? very, very supportive. I actually moved four blocks away from their house. So I tended to go to their house, do some grocery shopping, borrow their lawnmower. <laughs> my dad helped me with renos. My mom would come help me clean. So very, very supportive. They they told me the one thing they wanted was for me to finish high school. Yeah. So they gave me $100 a month for my bus pass and asked me to please finish high school. All right. So at 16, um, depending where you fall in the calendar year, were you in grade 11 or grade 12? That would have been grade 11, I believe. Yep. Yeah, because I was that December baby. So I was like 17 when I graduated. Anyway, um, I actually only did about a half year in grade 12. And then when I was 17, I jetted off to Australia for six months. Oh, and was that just like a vacation backpacking type of situation? Or were you like building and working there? Well, no, I, I decided to go there because we were supposed to go to Bible school for a year after we finished high school and I didn't want to go to Bible school. So I said, well, I want to work with horses because I want to own a horse ranch at the mm. time. So I went to the Australian Outback to go work on a horse ranch and I traveled around and, and did that for a while and decided after working with horses, I love them. I do not want to own a horse ranch. I did later on in life work at a racetrack for three years as a groom with horses again, but once again, decided not to go into it professionally. Yeah. Wow. So that's, I mean, that's a really interesting thing to consider for like anybody, like before you commit to something, go give it a try for like four or five, six months and really understand what it means to be doing that job. Right. Before you invest all this time and money to do something that maybe you're like, no, I don't really like that. Really? So that, that's great. I, I'm, that's a fascinating part of your story. I love it. And my daughter is like big into horses. So um, I, there's a little bit of a kinship there for sure. So um, out of all of the trades though, like why why carpentry? I mean, they're electrical, plumbing, all sorts of things. Like what was it that drew you the most to carpentry? My dad was always kind of a handyman and was carpenter-like, I would call him. Okay. Um, but you know what? I, when I was interviewing at the beginning for construction jobs, I didn't care what I was getting into. I was ha- trying to become a painter, trying to become a anything. I didn't care. It was just the one job I was able to get in the end after getting laughed out of many interviews, being told they don't, didn't want to hassle, they didn't want a harassment case. I just couldn't find a job. So the biggest struggle is finding that first job and getting that experience. I've since finding that first job and kind of getting into it, gone and done job searching twice. And both times I found because of having references and experience, it was very easy to find jobs on. Yeah. I mean, and you're just for anybody who's listening, you're based out of um, Manitoba, correct? Yeah. Winnipeg, Manitoba. So here in BC, we have like a whole like apprenticeship program and the whole thing. And you could do like an entry level trades training program or what they call it foundations now. Um, Is there something like that in Manitoba? 
Yes. So there's Apprenticeship Manitoba, very similar. Um, I actually sit on the board of the, not the board, sorry, the Committee for Construction for Apprenticeship Manitoba here in Winnipeg. And I actually competed in BC with the union actually in a national competition for carpentry. That was about, oh, I can't even remember how many years ago, but it was about three or four years ago that I competed there actually. So I have seen BC once. <laughs> hey, well, anytime you want to come back, just hit me up. It's a beautiful place to Beautiful place to live, that's for sure. Um, so you mentioned that your parents uh, went and they built a house in Africa. Were you part of that build at all? Or was it just they, they went and did their thing? and <laughs> They make a joke that they sold everything except their kids and packed up to Africa. But when I was 11 years old to 14, I lived in Africa as a missionary child. So we grew up in Botswana. And then after growing up there, we came back to Canada to finish our schooling. But my parents' dream was always to move back to Africa and settle there. So they purchased 30, 40 acres of land, bare land, nothing on it, and went there and built an entire safari lodge, pool, gardens. They now have their own cattle, their own farm. And then with COVID, of course, no visitors. They were always planning kind of to do a non-for-profit thing. And COVID kind of spurred them along that they raised, I believe, a decent amount of money. And they opened up a healthcare clinic. So that is available to the locals. And their goal is really to work on the childbirth death in Africa. Yeah, I mean, that's a great, great initiative. But there's a couple other people in my world that sort of have played in that same sector. And I, I, it's it's much, much needed work. So that's, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, so getting back to like you as a entity, as a, apart from the family, I mean, overall, other than, you know, having it um, be a little challenging to get into the sector. Um, what overall has been your experience as a woman in construction? Like, ha- have you found that there's been good reception? Have you found like it's been challenging working with the dudes in the field and doing all these things and having to like really fight your way through to get gaining respect and all that kind of stuff? You know what? There, there are for sure challenges as with anything in life, even the job, if you were a man, it is a challenge. Of course, yeah. Something people skip on sometimes is the advantages of being a woman in construction. We bring something to the table that most people don't have there. And that's kind of a nurturing and just empathetical view of things. So we bring a soft touch to the construction industry where you don't get as much horseplay the moment that you have a woman on the job. Um, We can be a shoulder to lean on for somebody that needs to talk about something. And they're usually men tend to be a little bit open up with women than they do other men. Um, We're very organized. We like things clean. Yeah. (laughs) As a, as an apprentice carpenter, I always told whoever I was working with, I'll do all the cleaning. You do all the heavy lifting. And they just love that because no guy liked to clean. So if you offered to do it for them, I found it was a huge advantage and I absolutely loved cleaning on job sites. So it was good for me as well. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. I mean, that's often something that we, um, that I've talked about with other people as well, the, the differentiating factor that, and, and I guess the zhuzh that, that women bring to the field in that we approach things differently. Our problem solving techniques are different. Yes. We bring forward, um, just that sort of more intuitive nature and empathetic sort of way of viewing things. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, the majority of us are quite organized. I mean, you don't want to paint everybody with one brush. I mean, there are clearly some people are not as organized as others, but, um, I I think all of those sort of what 
people call soft skills are really what uh, we need more of in any industry, but especially within construction. And I think that's something that more and more companies are recognizing that is actually a benefit to them, not a deterrent or detraction. So I think that's a great point to bring up. Um, you did mention that uh, in your bio that you had um, sort of a, a mentor uh, in Brian Dahl. Uh, did, have you had anybody else sort of mentor you along? Uh, any other women or another significant sort of lead hand that was like, hey, like I dig this and I'm willing to teach you everything that you can soak up? You know what? I've had tons of mentors. I've been very, very lucky in that way. Um, not enough women, unfortunately. The one I did have was Monique Buckberger. She's actually out of Toronto now. She was the um, head at GCL for construction in Winnipeg at one point, and I got to work under her and kind of oh. get some ones with her. So that was really great. While I was at PCL, I had Grant Hoagie. He was a foreman who actually kind of pushed me along the way and really showed me how to do things and taught me a lot. And then as far as superintendents go, John Ballin was a superintendent I worked with when I was a foreman who I still talk with to this day. And he really has helped me along the way when I have questions, concerns, I don't want to ask too many questions sometimes <laughs> that I have somebody to go to. And that is so important very very important to have mentors and people who will have your back it becomes so much easier there and having that and I I didn't know any females in construction for a long time and ended up going on a to a conference in Vegas and that was how I met local females actually so that was a great experience and now I have many females in the industry that I can go and talk to now or get together with and have somebody who truly understands what you're going to because even with a male mentor trying to explain it to them or have questions for them it's it's not relatable all the time for sure so yeah so you just segued right into my next question which was um have you been able to bond with other women in trade so it sounds like by going to some of these um conferences and things, which I mean, many other women have told me as well, that that's sort of where they get their, um, get their, uh, opportunity to build community within sure. women in trade. And oftentimes those bonds are things that get them through the majority of their career because, you know, it's hard to be the lone or one or two women only in a, in a company or on a job site or whatever. And, um, you know, just to be able to have a, a kind ear and like someone just to vent to that kind of gets it is, is, it's a really big thing. And I think that helps a lot of women stay in the field and then become leaders themselves within it. Do you, I so, is that sort of what you're finding for yourself? Oh, hundred percent. When I went to the conference, I also learned about on Facebook, there's a group called trade woman chat. It's about 3000 or more female trades people that chat about everything, anything. And it's a great resource to find out information. And then coming back to Winnipeg, I was brought into Manitoba Women in Construction, which I sit on the board now and I'm the Trades Outreach Director at and have a committee that I run that I have a bunch of other female tradeswomen that we meet once a month and get together. We have some drinks and talk about what we need to for business. And then after that, we can kind of, you know, talk about whatever we want. So it's been a great experience to be a part of that. And the networking, I really encourage any female going into construction to find that network group and get out there and find that support because it does make it so much easier. So what what is sort of your mandate with Manitoba women in construction like what like why was it sort of formed in the first place and what is the overall sort of goal or or whatnot in it is it mainly just support within yourself or is it like to try and encourage more women and girls to you know consider a career in the in the trades 
So Manitoba Women in Construction was founded about 10 years ago because we have our anniversary next year. And the mandate is really to help further women in construction, whether it's retention or it's recruitment. You know, they kind of go hand in hand that if you don't do one, the other doesn't work. Um, so for an example, as last week, I actually had an event called Unlocking the Toolkit. So the event is 90 grade five and six girls come and you have eight different trade booths set up and they get to go for throughout the day and try all the trades. They get to be hands-on, try the different things. There's virtual realities, all kinds of different things. And they get to try everything. And the greatest part after was reading the surveys of the girls saying, I've learned so much today. And when the question is asked, would you consider a career in the trades? I would say well over 90% said yes after that. Wow, that's amazing. So, and how are you funded? Is it like provincially funded or... That event specifically is funded through Manitoba Women in Construction, uh, through uh, the government of Manitoba, through Status of Women, as well as through Winnipeg Construction Association. Those are the three bigger funders. And then there's also event sponsors of different construction companies or pretty much everything. I believe there's even a coffee place that funded us this year. So you get kind of a little bit of a any company in the city who wants to fund us or sponsor us can. We have our sponsorship go out once a year for our main sponsorship funds, which we use to host events or put out posters or whatever we kind of look at doing that year. And then that that event in itself is kind of sponsored differently. And it's such a great event. It really was a hit and was super excited to be a part of it this year. Yeah, I mean, you, you really do need to get in early, no matter what gender or whatever just to like plant the seeds that trades are a really viable career option for people and it's they're not just dead-end jobs they're not for dummies you know like we're still trying to kind of fighting that stereotype no matter what um so you you mentioned retention and basically attraction so you know getting in early doing these um little little trade shows if you want to call them that to expose kids to the, the trades and all that kind of stuff is a great uh option to, to try anyway. And hopefully, you know, 10, 15 years from now, we'll see a bunch of those, that, that, that 90%, you know, it's going to whittle down, of course, but maybe like 30 or 40% may, you know, still continue through. What do you see as um, maybe some tools or things to, to consider for, you know, uh, companies for retention? What, what do you see as maybe a solution around that? So retention's the hard one. It really is. Things like Manitoba Women in Construction, having networking events, having mentor sponsorship. There's an entity in Canada called the Office to Advance Women Apprenticeship. So that's throughout different provinces. Right now in Manitoba, we currently do not have that, unfortunately. Um, we used to at one point. So that's kind of somebody whose job is to actually sponsor women and help them find jobs and work on things like that. Um so I went last year in, I can't remember if it was June or July, but I went to London, England on a delegation with 40 other women from North America. So I went on this delegation and I learned so much from everybody there. And a big thing that they said is, yes, it's good to still do stuff with the younger girls and get them interested. However, the people you really need to target is the women looking for that second or third career. They are much easier to get into the trades. They are much easier to retain. And then having their in, them in place is actually a retention option for keeping women that come in later. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a lot easier for a younger woman to come in and have a mentor that's going to be on site because most yep. of my career has been spent being the only female. Yep. Yeah, no, it's, it's a very common 
theme for everybody that I've talked to. And even for myself, I was the only woman in my shop. And most of them. Yeah. Well, I know in Manitoba, I've been looking, I've heard of a few other women superintendents, but I haven't been able to pinpoint any places like BC, Toronto, you're going to have a lot more. A big thing too would be uh, personal protective equipment, not fitting. I've struggled throughout my entire career and that's been a huge thing women have talked about is just getting stuff that fits, getting shoes that are not ill-fitting, that aren't just made for somebody to walk on the site for two hours and leave. The biggest one I hear at conferences and networking events is about childcare. That is going to be the biggest issue. I currently do not have any children, so I do not have the same issue, but I hear it time and time again. And there has been things done in the States that I've heard of where you get the government, the daycares, the unions, get everybody together and come up with a plan to make an affordable daycare solution that opens early enough for construction workers to drop off their kids. This is actually an issue for both men and women, actually. Yep. Yep. And I just spoke to a woman this year about she had to quit her job because she couldn't get daycare early enough and find a different job. So it's a common thing because daycares do not open up enough. It's hard enough to find a daycare, let yeah. alone one, let one that's open. open up at like, yeah, you know, oh, dark 30 or whatever, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's um, a big one. Yeah, no, that's that's a very common theme for sure. Um, and I know that there's been a number of studies and things done by different levels of government, and every single one of them has sort of pinpointed that as one of the main um, considerations because women in general are the primary caregivers, and typically, you know, we're, we're the ones that need to figure all this stuff out, right? Um, so within this. Manitoba Women in Construction, you were telling me just before we started recording that you, you've actually started doing a fair amount of speaking and interviews and all that kind of stuff. Is that something that you're really excited to do to help, you know, shine the light on women in trades and all that kind of stuff? Or has it been a little bit of like, a, oh, I have to do this thing again. And I mean, here you are on the podcast. So <laughs> I should probably lie and say, oh, no, so super excited. But no, I actually I hate my photo being taken. I hate my video being taken. I absolutely hate public speaking all of it together. I have learned to fake it very well. <laughs> I will admit <laughs> I had to do a photo shoot for some stock images today. And I do it just to further the women in the trades. It's, it's a big so that pushes me to do something that I've never liked doing. And having to do it over and over again, I helped run a conference with the Carpenters Union out of Vegas last year and got to be on a stage with over 500 people, cameras and MC for a couple hours. It was a great experience. However, prefer the in-person to the Zooms usually because yeah. you're not staring at yourself talking to a screen. <laughs> I know. That's the worst. I have my um, image covered up by my notes here <laughs> so I can only see you. It makes me feel like I'm talking to you like in person instead of looking at myself, like making weird. Yeah. Oh, that's a great idea. But yeah, no, I've, I've kind of adapted. I actually just completed a course called Dale, Dale Carnegie. Yep. Did that course and I found it. It's a great course for somebody. I was actually going into it going, I should probably learn how to speak less. <laughs> more of my issue than speaking not speaking enough but I never I never was like that growing up I never was that outgoing or speak of or introvert I was more introverted for sure mm -hmm. and I took a sales job when I was about 17 I believe or 16 I can't remember what I was doing I was doing door-to-door -door knocking oh my goodness that is hardcore <laughs> yeah so I've done cold calling with sales on phones too. And I found the door to door knocking taught me to walk up to anybody's house and talk to them. Mm 
they'd tell me no and i would keep talking to them the, the point of the door knocking was you just keep going no is there's until, no until they shut the door <laughs> yeah correct until they yell at you or scream at you and shut the door so i got pretty used to people yelling at me and screaming at me and that experience in life i think i did it for about half a year i made amazing money doing it and that experience really taught me how to talk to people and just walk up to anybody and do it and i've always been pretty independent and go out and do just anything i think i can do and don't think twice went to australia without yeah. a plan for the first month I actually got off the plane just walked down a street found a hostel and went there <laughs> had a plan for the horse ranch that i went to a little bit after that but did not make a plan at the beginning so i've been pretty adventurous that way and kind of grown yeah for sure well i mean so and just segueing off of that a couple of different things first of all um I'm a huge proponent of lifelong learning, you know, if you're not kind of growing and you're dying kind of idea, or you're stagnating, which is almost as bad as dying. Um, it seems to me, obviously, because now you're superintendent, like you've clearly done different things to educate yourself and, and you know, develop a, a, a broader knowledge base and all that kind of stuff. And um, do you, is that something that is fairly common for the p women that you've talked to, that they're looking at that as far as um, opportunity for them to consider, because uh, sometimes we grow up and we don't have the the role models that we need that will exemplify lifelong learning. And oftentimes, you know, you kind of get stuck in a, in a rut and not even realize that there's an opportunity there. Is that something that you see as um, sort of prevalent within the people that you know, or are they already all on that same, you know, bandwagon of, of knowledge uh, attainment? So I think it's really hit and miss on a person. Every person's kind of different. Um, superintendents, you take a carpenter, you turn them into a people manager, essentially, mm -hmm. which are complete yep. opposite jobs. It's You don't get really any formal training or schooling that goes into it. And it's kind of an interesting switch. I found my customer service and serving really helped me with the switch. But I find it it's hit and miss on every person. They're the women that are kind of going into it, they're really pushing to do everything the best we possibly can. Um, you generally do above and beyond because you want to prove that you should be there. But there definitely aren't enough women currently in the field doing things. Right now in Manitoba, we have 4% of women in the field. And I believe that number is high. I've gotten it from apprenticeship. Um, and then if you look 10 years ago, we had 2.5%. And they say to make a real change, you need 15. 15% is what's going to get you that change. So I calculated it out and realized it's going to take us 70 years to get to 15% on the rate that we're going. And I kind of just sat there looking at that number going, that, that just doesn't make sense. So that's where we really need to be pushing is getting the retention of the females that are on site already. We get too many that drop out. And then also recruiting and getting more in because there is a construction labor shortage, period. Everywhere. That yeah. Well, and that, I mean, that 4%, again, I, I know there's been studies across Canada and different, you know, jurisdictions. They also note that around that 4% mark, and it really hasn't changed a lot over like the last 20, 30 years. And it depends where you go though on that, because you look at, and, and I'm, I'm really bad with geography, I will admit but I can't remember if it's New Brunswick or Nova Scotia, the Office to Advance Women Apprenticeship, there is a lady named Maggie there. And she has told me that in under a year, she recruited 80 women. Oh. And she has gotten their numbers up to 13%. Wow. 
along wow. with Karen Walsh. Karen Walsh was the one who kind of started Office to Advance Women Apprenticeship. So they really taken that program and skyrocketed it and made it work. And their numbers prove it. Hmm. Yeah, I know that that's amazing. Um, you know, obviously, like it's kind of like that everything averages out, but um yeah, I mean, I think that would be an interesting, you know, couple of people to talk to across the country for other people to see like what did they do, what worked, um, what strategies and and whatnot did they employ to try and make that number increase to that degree in that's in that short a period of time. I think that would be a really interesting um conversation to have to know exactly what they did because they've had amazing success. Wow. I'm going to, I'm going to have them on the show. Well, what I can do for you too, is I actually met Maggie at the delegation I was at. I can send you my report where it has a lot of their best practices that they put into. And then if you want their contacts, feel free to let me know and I can send them your way. Yeah. Yeah. No, hundred percent. Okay. Well, we'll we'll get that sort of at the end of the show here. Um, All right. So I feel like, you know, kind of, gone through your, you know, your early years, what have you done? Where are we going? This is where we're at. Where do you want to go? What else do you want to do? So I had a review a few years ago at work and and I was asked what my goals in my career and what, what my goals were. And my response was to be happy. I was told I needed to think on that response and come up with an actual game plan for life because everybody everybody wants to know where you're going or what you're doing. And, you know, the funny thing is I never necessarily wanted to be a superintendent or a foreman. I kind of just went along for the ride and, okay, sure, just said yes and keep going. And I, I do love the job. Absolutely love it. But there right now, I can't think of anywhere else. I feel like where I'm at, I'm very happy at the moment. And I'm sure there's a million things I'm going to want to do in life at points, but right now there isn't really something I'm working towards aside from just getting better at what I do and continue to learn. There you go. That's, that's a great answer. I mean, like there's something to be said for being satisfied about where we are at and being present within that, you know, if you want to start getting all kind of woo woo about it, but um, you know, there, there is something to be said for that. I mean, oftentimes we're programmed to always want the next thing. The grass is always greener and not just be really cool with what's happening in the moment. And I think that's a, that's a fabulous answer. I love it. Um, so overall, what would you want to share with women that maybe are considering the trades or any last bit of wisdom that you'd like to share to maybe like grab people to get them into the trades? Oh, you know what you, you said at the beginning about, I can't remember how you put it, but it was a, a term that we came up with on our delegation. It's if you can see it, you can be it. Yeah. And I think it's just never to doubt yourself, never doubt that you can do something because technically everybody can do anything they absolutely want. If you set your mind to it, there is nothing that is impossible. We human beings are amazing creatures that way that we can really accomplish the world if we want. I am Absolutely on the same page as that. And if you break down impossible, it's an I and then an M and then possible. So it's like, I am possible. Like, it's not impossible. It's I am possible. I think people telling me at times that, you know, a female can't be in construction or I don't belong there or I can't do it. That in itself has spurned me on because I'm just oh, so. Yeah. Don't tell me I can't. I'm going to show you. Yeah. I'm going to me I can't do something. And it just makes me want to do it even more I did a side job once for a commercial job and I had to get three months of work done in two weeks and I was doing this while running jobs on the for my real job 
And I loved the challenge. And everybody told me this is impossible. Well, I ended up doing it in 13 days. I might've almost killed myself. (laughs) (laughs) I got it done. And the challenge of something that is hard to do, I absolutely love. And how empowering is that to have done it, done it well, you succeeded and like feather in the cap, all good. I love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. All right. So I usually like to wind up the show with two things. Um, One, I want to know what your favorite tool is. Oh, my favorite tool. Probably a fresh Oful Knife blade. As soon as you put a new blade in an Oful Knife, the feeling of doing it, like, it's just, it's a great feeling because it's used one that's been used and it's not sharp and you're trying to work. You put a new blade in. I think the Oful Knife is one of the most versatile tools to use. Probably one of the most dangerous tools on the construction site and one of the ones that you get the most injuries from. But the one tool I would always keep on me when I was working on the tools at all times, no matter what. Yep. Good answer. Um, And best or worst joke about being a carpenter? Oh, that would probably be, do you need a stud finder? (laughs) There's multiple ways of saying the joke. I can't remember all the ways, but I heard that one a few times. Yeah. And they like, they put it on their chest. (laughs) Yep. It happens. That is a real life thing that happens on sites, unfortunately. Yeah, no, I've seen a bunch of memes around that too. It's, I mean, every time I kind of just give a little bit of a chuckle, it's like, really? really? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Lee, thanks again for chatting with me today. And I am, I am excited to see what you end up doing next. And I wish you mad success, whatever that happens to be. And I know that you're just going to do whatever, whenever it comes your way and, and, and grab those opportunities. And I think that's the best, the best tr- path forward, really. Um, and for those listening, um, I really appreciate it. And be sure to check out all the other episodes in this, as well as the other series that we have. And until next time, keep swinging those hammers and keep it being badass at whatever career that you're in. Thank you. Thanks for listening. And I hope you feel as inspired as I do. If you or someone you know has interest in the trades, there are many resources, many programs and supports. There's also a ton of women's groups out there specifically for those who are in the trades. We'll list a number of them in the show notes, but be sure to reach out if you're having challenges finding some in your area. We're all in this together after all, and we're happy to help in any way we can.